Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Alright, hello everybody and welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts, which is part of the Heroes Podcast Network. Uh, with me as always, and we're back after our well-deserved and fun holiday uh, break. Guys, go ahead and reintroduce yourselves for our fine fans out there. Derek? Sure. Hi everybody. I am Derek, also known as the Star Trek Dude. It is good to be back. Happy New Year. And me, Jeremy, uh, and welcome to the future. We have officially traveled into the future. <laughs> and we we didn't even have to slingshot around the sun. Nope. Now, the, the year is still young, so we may end up having to do the slingshot maneuver, though. Who knows? That's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, but guys, did you, uh, were you able to enjoy your break? Get any Star Trek stuff in? Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I've been sick for a week, so I haven't enjoyed most of it. I, uh, I I have a cold as well, um, going on two two weeks. I um, did not really do anything Trek. I just played a ton of video games. Yeah, me too. I took a week off. So, yeah, video games are always a good distraction, though, especially when you're sick. Well, yeah, and I, I had made a goal for myself for 2017 to beat a certain number of video games, and I got it in at the 11th hour. So. <laughs> Yeah, there's just you. You wait five minutes, and there's more games. So few games are beatable these days. Well, that's true. It's a special category, you know. So um, games like Overwatch or something like that they they don't count, right. uh, which makes it a little bit harder, of course. If I also play those games, which I do, so I, I had a, a wide mixture of stuff. Ooh. But but that's not what we're here to talk about. Nope. So no, but we are here to talk about something arguably once upon a time was as popular in the day as overwatch is now maybe not so much <laughs> but for star trek fans universally regarded one of the better of the films which is star trek for the voyage home it was a fun one it was, it was a little weird but it's fun it's also known as the one with the whales yeah. the one with the whales Here there be whales <laughs> <laughs> and of course my wife the marine biologist this is obviously her uh her favorite Star Trek of any Star Trek out there. So is is it fairly accurate when it comes to the whales? She said, of course, there's always that movie magic. Uh-huh. But they got, like, the look right. She had some, as the biologist in her, had some significant problems with keeping humpbacks in captivity. Spoilers. Well, especially in that pen that they had that was, like, an Olympic-sized swimming pool. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. right. So she had problems with that, but she liked the look. She liked the feel. She liked the... How they reflected some of the intelligence of the animals. She she was like in the in the sounds. Yeah, but yeah. So, but what we wanted to talk about ever for everybody out there, you know, we've been doing the movie reviews. We've been talking Star Trek news in general, the Tarantino stuff. We took a break from Discovery because Discovery's on winter break, and the Discovery's coming back this Sunday. Is that right? Yeah, the seventh. So then we got seven more episodes, right? Uh, six, six more six. episodes. Yeah. Well, and during this break, we've been talking movies, news, and such. So today we're going to jump right into The Voyage Home, which, when you're actually watching it, because 2, 3, and 4 are those connected movies, and it picks up almost immediately right after Star Trek Three. I mean, they jump, they get the Vulcan and everything. Right, uh, right. Which, even if you've never seen Star Trek Four, people have seen bits and pieces, because it was, some of it was replayed in the modern Star Trek with, uh, with Spock doing all the learning and all the tests. Mm-hmm. When the computer's trying to help him rebuild his, uh, whatever, his memory. Right, yeah. It didn't seem like it was helping as much as it was just testing. True. Yes, but how do you feel? Right. <laughs> that is an illogical, irrelevant question. Somehow the computer knows that he's human, or part human. Um, 
Oh, yeah. you know, there's a there's another Vulcan out there that told the computer. Make sure you ask him a human thing. Yeah. <laughs> Give him one from me. So, but before we jump jump right into the story, we usually open up with, you know, a quick a quick two minute blurb. Uh, Derek, what what do you think of Star Trek Four? So I I've always loved this movie. I think it's a great end to the sequel, the uh, the trilogy that they have between you know Wrath of Khan, Search for, Search for Spock, and Voyage Home. Um, it's it's just a fun movie seeing the characters you know out of their element um, you know back in San Francisco in the eighties and uh, of course you know check off with the the nuclear uh, nuclear uh, vessels and you know, of course there is Cold War tones and that and, and things of that nature so I, I've always loved it I always thought it was just a ton of fun fun fact about the Voyage Home it is the highest grossing. Of the non-Kelvin timeline movies. The highest grossing, really. Is that like adjusted gross, or is that out of all of them? That's that's lifetime gross, not adjusted. Huh. I would have thought so. Um, like Generations or First Contact would have been higher up. First Contact was, was right behind it. Uh, Generations did not do that well financially. Mm. So, yeah. So there you go. Yeah, The only three movies to beat it at the box office are the three Kelvin timeline films. And even... The third one? Yeah. Even though there's a steady decline for each of the Kelvin movies, it it's still by $49 million beyond Beat the Voyage Home. Well, I guess, yeah. With with today's dollars, not 80s dollars. Right. That's that's the key. That's the key. And you know what the sad thing is, is Beyond is the best of the three new movies. At least, I think so. I agree with you. Yeah, I think so for sure. Now, if you adjust it for inflation... Uh, the Voyage Home actually moves into third place with the motion picture at second and the 09 film at number one. So it, the adjusted uh, price definitely throws everything off. Yeah. So. Well, Jeremy, what would you think about it? I liked it. Um, I think I, I enjoyed Wrath of Khan probably a little bit more just for the kind of classic narrative structure and storytelling uh, that, that Wrath of Khan has because it has... It has a villain. It has like a clear arc to the conflict. the The consequence consequences feel more severe. This one is is more of like a goof around. It's like how with X Files they they would always say you have like the monster of the week episodes, and then the the core arc episodes. This felt like a monster of the week episode where it was just kind of like, all right, what's the point of all this to to just have some whales sing to a tube and then and then that's it. <laughs> And they never really do show where the uh, the tube came from, the probe. Yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> it's one of those nice, fun mysteries, I guess. Yeah, so it's it's kind of just a pal-around, goof-em-up movie, which which feels like it would be a good episode plot, but it it feels like if if this is what we're doing for the movie, what's the point? True. I can, I can see what you mean by that. It's harsh. And maybe that's why I like Beyond, though, because Beyond kind of felt like a good episode. Yeah, um, like like Beyond was was their good episode movie. I would say Insurrection was the Next Generation's good episode movie. This is an episode movie, but if you're, I mean, you know, there's there's no ships. The one ship that they had is cloaked the whole time. There's no sci-fi things happening. The one phaser, like he tried to shoot his phaser and it didn't work. So it's like all of the Star Trek elements are stripped out, and it's all character work, which is fine. These are characters we love, but. Um, with without the sci-fi, what what are we doing? I mean, it's interesting. It's very character-driven for sure. Um, but what's important to kind of keep in mind here is the budget was really tight. They only got twenty-five million to make the whole movie. Yeah. Um, you know, which uh, it didn't even make back in its opening weekend, uh, which which is kind of intense. Um, so they, I think that's why it is toned down. They used a lot of real locations instead of having to build sets. Um, there really aren't that many special effects aside from, uh, you know, the transporter stuff. That's, that's really about it. Well, that's, that's, it kind of felt to me like one of those legends of tomorrow episodes where they're, they've clearly like run out of their shooting budget. So everything is just like, Oh no, firestorm can't become firestorm. Let's hide hide behind a thing and and throw rocks. So it's like, (laughs) it's like everything is kind of an obvious dodge as to why they're not doing anything with like, you know, Oh, we can't afford to keep putting makeup on Nimoy, so let's wrap some terry cloth around his forehead. Well, he had to blend in. 
Well, yeah, he had, they had yeah. an in-universe explanation. It is kind of like they had to basically do a bottle episode. Right. But as a movie. But San Francisco is the bottle. Right. Yeah, Modern Times is the bottle instead of the ship. So. <laughs> and that makes sense, because they had that continuing story arc from 2, 3, and 4. And I don't know if anybody anticipated that this was going to be how they ended that trilogy. Well, yeah, and it's... I'm surprised to hear that people considered this as a part of that trilogy because it really has nothing to do aside from the first 10 minutes where they're, they're tying everything together and they do the thing that they did in the second movie where they're watching the previous movie on a screen to, to just kind of do the quick exposition where they're watching the uh, uh, John Larroquette Klingon get blown up from, from all these different angles that they obviously couldn't have recorded from. (laughs) Might as well just, kind of start jumping into the story because they start off in Vulcan and we kind of drop the hint you know they're trying to help Spock I don't even know how to describe it because they 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 guide his Katra back but they're basically trying to for lack of a better term almost like bring him up to speed well yeah they're they're apprehensive that he doesn't have his memories back but he that that never really seems to be much of a conflict like the only thing that he doesn't seem perfectly up to speed on is calling Jim Admiral well, I, I think the the reason is, and they kind of explain it, is that he was brought back in the Vulcan way. And so his human consciousness is kind of buried underneath the Vulcan one now, whereas the Spock we saw before he dies in Wrath of Khan is really the most human Spock that we had at that point. So he's kind of reverted a bit. So he's on, like, his he was reformatted and he's on shop settings? I mean, kind of, yeah, yeah. right. It, but he was, you know, it's, he he was a dual booting machine. But they really only, you know, they restored the uh, the A drive, but not the B partition. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and I mean that's kind of a big thing with this one is is we see everybody get kind of rebooted in their own ways because we see Bones kind of take the lead doing medical stuff, and we see Uhura uh, getting really into communication stuff, and then we see uh, Kirk. Get knocked down to captain. Uh, yeah, I guess at the end, at the end of the movie, that's true. That, that's that. I think that's why it's really it's considered a trilogy. Is that you know it, it begins right where three left off, and it ends Kirk's arc of being an admiral and coming back to being a captain, which is what he really wants. Yeah, right. So it's not even really a punishment. They're doing him a favor. It's disappointing to hear that the budget was so low because this was the 20th anniversary of the original series. They could have really blown this up if they had played their cards right because this is like, you know, 20 years since the launch of Star Trek as a thing. I still think back in the day, even in the 80s, they Paramount almost didn't know what to do with Star Trek. That's true. And if you, uh, from a storyline aspect, if you think about Kirk's career, the whole Enterprise crew career, they're ending their, their whole situation on one hell of a bang. With the massive battle at the Mitara Nebula, then, then the you know the, the Genesis planet, and then this, so it's not a bad capstone to, to for Kirk to continue his starship career. It was kind of like a soft relaunch in a way to get Kirk back in the captain's chair, but then the plans were only to do one more film. I know we got two, but the plans were only for one. So I don't know. It was kind of a weird way to set up a future movie. Yeah, especially when they were, like you said, they were so in flux on, are we going to have one more movie, two more movies? What's going on with people's contracts? Is is Kirk leaving? Is Kirk staying? Then does not only Shatner stay, he ends up directing Star Trek V. Well, and that's actually almost the fault of this movie, because with Nimoy directing three and four, Kirk had his contract changed to basically say, if Nimoy gets to direct, I get to direct. Yes. So by letting Nimoy direct four, Shatner got to direct five and unfairly gets blamed for a lot of production issues on five because its budget was totally slashed. That movie was a mess and a lot of it's really not Shatner's fault. Yeah, there was just problems all around. But okay, so they open up, they're on Vulcan, you know, they're given their ship a nice, very eloquent name. The you know the right. HMS Bounty, which is a great name for a for a Klingon ship, and any fan of history will know the HMS Bounty and the story behind all that. Um, but you, then they don't waste any time in this movie jumping right into basically the crisis moment. 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of climaxes towards the second half of the film, but the immediate crisis is there from what the ten minute mark. Well, I mean, the movie starts with the the Saratoga outside the neutral zone um, getting probed or whatever by the tube. Yeah, and little footnote: the uh, the female captain of the Saratoga is the same actress that goes on to play Jordy LaForge's mother in right. Star Trek. And then, generation. and then the Admiral we see again is uh, Cisco's dad. Yep, Brock Peters. He was also in Star Trek VI. I was reading some uh, trivia from the commentary, and apparently there was also going to be a kid uh, when they're in San Francisco and they're in front of that big wall that says Yellow Pages. There's going to be a little Japanese kid that comes out that they call Hikaru, and that was supposed to be Sulu's like great-great-great-grandfather. But the kid wouldn't stop crying, so they just cut it. That's <laughs> probably a good thing. Yeah. That's a little yeah. too shoehorned, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one thing to use, like, naval ships and kind of throw all that stuff in there. But, yeah, I don't know. Do you really need the... Uh, that's what always worried me about the Star Wars prequels was, were they going to try to throw, like, a seven-year-old Han Solo in there somewhere? Yeah. And then you're like, oh, really? Was this necessary? Well, so, but I think what I like about this movie, though, is that the main antagonist is this unknown probe that it really doesn't mean us any harm. But we've actually caused the problem ourselves. I mean, this was an environmental film, right? Oh, yeah. This was a, this was about how we are hurting our planet, and one day that's going to come back to bite us. And no, it probably won't be an alien probe that comes looking for an extinct species. Those odds are probably small, but it's an allegory, right? So, um, you yeah, know, it's this was very the, this was the allegory. very heavy. It was the Wally of of the nineteen eighties, right? <laughs> well, that's a good point because that was some of the criticism that the uh, the Kelvin timeline movies got, where all the characters are just extreme at whatever it is. There's so much loud noises, so much action, so much of this out of the other. And even a lot of the modern day critics are like, hey, do you remember when Star Trek used to take a chance on their films? Like Star Trek Four, a movie about whales and the environment. And Derek, like you pointed out, it grossed higher overall in comparison than any of the other movies when you take into account like inflation and such aside from you know the calvin movies yeah i i think it was really accessible right it was pg but legitimate legitimately pg not like ghostbusters getting a you know a blowjob from a ghost pg that we had a couple <laughs> years earlier like legitimately this is a pg film the worst thing in the movie is when uh kirk says you know double dumbass on you <laughs> That's like the most adult thing in the entire film. Or so Spock gets Tourette's and just says the hell, the hell. What the hell are you saying? <laughs> trying to learn how to swear. Yeah. Um, Adorable. Yeah, you know, I, I guess the guy on the bus does flip flip off uh, the camera, right? But um, you know, anybody could go see this movie. They could take their kids to see this movie. It was kind of a fun film, and it wasn't heavy on the trek, which meant that if you didn't really know about all of that stuff if you weren't into the Trekno babble um that that was okay because you could enjoy this character film yeah i mean it was it was so detached from a normal trek thing that the enterprise wasn't even in it until the last three seconds yeah pretty much that and you almost didn't even need to see the other films to watch this one and enjoy it yeah, yeah watching two three yeah, watching two and three would be super beneficial for people like us because we love the backstory. But anybody can just watch this and go, this is a good movie. Except it's not on Hulu anymore. I had to pay for it. <laughs> uh, I wish you had told me. Man. I, I own like four copies of this movie. Well, it was <laughs> it was on Hulu until like the first. So I, I kept seeing it in my list of movies and I was like, all right, when I get around to watching that, it'll be right there. And then, as, of course, I sat down to watch it two and a half hours ago. That's so yeah, they the Saratoga gets hit by that probe, and we're and we're literally like at the eight or ten minute mark of the film when stuff starts happening, and because it's the Saratoga that gets their warning out, but Earth, but the probe made its way to Earth pretty damn fast. Yeah, <laughs> if you th if you think about it, it jumped right from essentially the neutral zone to to Earth in I don't know five minutes of screen time, which is fine. You know, Star Trek's always played fast and loose with the. Uh, with time, with travel and warp speed, it's just kind of emphasizing how fast that they jump right into the story. They did this movie. This is one of those movies they really don't waste any time. Every minute of screen time in this film is kind of going towards something. 
That's surprising that they didn't stretch out some of those because they had the the Starfleet sets and the the shooting locations that they had for Vulcan. So it's it's like they could have done more with the the trekkier aspects of it, but they did kind of like buzz in and out of those Federation scenes. It was just like everybody gather around a thing, and then the screens flickered, and then now we got to go. Well, I think a lot of that had to do with the characters all essentially work together for the first half of the film. Maybe the first act of the film. All the characters have one dedicated mission and goal together. So they're not split off in separate locations. And the other locations have minor characters that are more for exposition than anything else. That's a good point. A lot of somewhat like secondary side characters that are there for a minute and a half of humor you know the the antique dealer that buys Kirk, Kirk's glasses. <laughs> you know he's 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 nobody's favorite Star Trek character, but it was neat to have that interaction for a minute and a half. The, right. That was um, a weird like uh, uh, causal time loop, like very flippantly delivered, where he's just like, "Oh, but those are the the glasses that he gives you," and he's like, "Yeah, but he's still going to give them to me." So it's like, wait, <laughs> is he seeding this <laughs> pair of glasses outside of time? Yeah, somehow somebody else is going to end up with them just to give them back, just so McCoy can find them and give them back to Kirk. So, okay, I, that's not how I took that line. I've always taken that line as it's a second gift because he's now getting money for them that they can use to complete their mission. Oh, I thought he was just saying, like, well, if these were destined to end up with me, then these will end up with him and then they will end up with me again. Eh, maybe you're both right. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> So Kirk and crew, they don't know about the probe at the time. They they all get they get Spock. You know he gets he gets his robe, finishes his test, says goodbye to Sarek, and they get on the the HMS Bounty. You know the Klingon ship. I don't even know if we ever hear the Klingon ships. I I don't remember the Klingon ship's actual name. Um, but they get they get back on the ship to head towards Earth, and I mean that stuff. The distress signal from Earth and the planet the Federation president. And ships are getting knocked out all over the place. Remember that the little shuttle, like when the probe got close to Earth, and there's a shuttlecraft in the space dock, and they all they all turn <laughs> they off, lose, and float away. They lose power, so those poor people, I guess, are you know, you read books, and those shuttlecraft have like five years of supply somehow. Wait, um, did did he say goodbye to Sarek? Because wasn't Sarek in with the the Federation Council, burning that Klingon? Who's oh, like, he says goodbye to um his mom. His oh mother. yeah, his mom is there. Yeah, because Sarek's there at the, the very end. But man, that stuff, like I keep saying, this stuff just immediately starts happening because they get that distress signal from Earth. And I always laugh. I don't know if you guys remember. Um, when they get the distress signal and they, they figure out what, what's going on with the with the whale noises. And <laughs> they talk about attempting to do time travel. And Kirk is... Uh, I always laugh because Kirk is doing that. He's doing the message back to Earth. And remember, he's doing all those famous Kirk pauses. Yeah, <laughs> where it's like we're going to attempt time travel, we're and I'm like, Kirk, the people on Earth really don't have time for this. They, <laughs> it's like you, you need to spit this out, Kirk, so Starfleet knows what the hell you're doing, because <laughs> you know the the probe is ionizing our atmosphere and we won't survive. It's like, damn, this is the well, maybe he's assuming it's Earth buffering, since, so he's trying to give it time so it would link together. <laughs> it's like like you know 2003 YouTube. You got to hit play and let the video just buffer for five minutes, right? Awesome. I, and I think, I, I think they call it time warp because I remember hearing Kirk say that on the big screen. I'm like, time warp? Like, <laughs> like it just didn't seem to fit. You yeah, know? It's just a jump to the they, left. Yeah, because <laughs> even when they brought it up and even McCoy's like, oh yeah, you fly fast enough and close enough to the star, bam, you're in time warp. Like, so this is like common knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> like this. It's like everybody think, with warp drive can just fling back into whatever time they want. They just choose not to because it's weird. It's a good thing the Borg never figured this out. We'd be really screwed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of interesting, right? Because they make it seem so easy. And again, like in First Contact, it's such a big deal that they follow the Borg to the correct place. You know, and like, and they have their own way of performing time travel. But slingshotting around the sun, they, the Federation was able to do 100 years before... <laughs> Well, also, yeah, the pretty, HMS Bounty seemed to be able to get to Warp 10 pretty easily. Yeah, Klingon ships weren't exactly known for their engines or, you know, speed. That was always like the Federation shtick, right? We have well-built ships that can go fast. 
Especially um, since that sh- ship had just been rebuilt by a bunch of Vulcans wearing weird red fin hats. <laughs> Look, they just uh, got done filming Dune, David Lynch's Dune. They had some <laughs> leftover props. Um, <laughs> here you go. This is Paul Muad'Dib's hat that he wore for three and a half minutes. Yeah. Let's make a thousand copies of him. Maybe that's why he was able to go to Warp 10 is because he was on Spice. There you go. No, all it takes is a Vulcan, or even a half Vulcan, to make some mathematical calculations, and everything can be solved on a old bird of prey. True. Apple II. <laughs> Apple II. <laughs> and you do get a very the very trippy time warp sequence, where you definitely know it was the 80s, because you're watching this stuff going, uh... We don't have the context or the uh, or the products that they had back in the eighties. It's a trippy, pretty trippy scene. It is so weird. When I was a kid, I had no idea what the hell was going on in that scene, <laughs> where they're like coming out of each other's faces, and then the whales show up or whatever. Like I don't yeah, even like, know. We just got rotoscope. Let's use it. How can we use it? It's crazy. <laughs> well, let's do something crazy. Like, did they all have to think about humpback whales at the, you know, together? <laughs> is that what? Is that how it determines what point in time they go back to? Yes. <laughs> you know what? I, that sounds good enough for me. I mean, that's science. Right? I, I accept Derek's argument, suggestion, and I agree with him. Chekhov accidentally thinks of the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man, and it all. Oh goes God! <laughs> that's one hell of a crossover. They go back in time to the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. Is there? It, it just popped in there. Um. <laughs> they think that's what they they think this thing can speak humpback. They bring it back. Do you just <laughs> watch Ghostbusters? All. That's the second Ghostbusters reference. Sorry, I love Ghostbusters. <laughs> it's, it's just in my head right now. Um, anyway, so they get so, so they yeah. get back in time. Basically, spoilers. This is where we're getting to the meat of the story. So, if you're one of the 0.5% of Star Trek fans who have not seen The Voyage Home, because even Jeremy has seen it now. Yep. Stop this recording and go watch Voyage Home, because it's I'm very entertaining I'm a Star Trek film. fan now, guys. Except I haven't watched any of the original series. You've always been a Star Trek fan. You were just introduced at a different time. You know, I'm I didn't still, see... I'm a Picard You still fan. have two... You got two original series movies to go. I've seen, I've seen Undiscovered Continent. Country. Country. Okay, maybe I should watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> you could hear the t- the uh, the bile in uh, Derek's response. I I had to really think about Country. how I wanted to respond to that. Um, we're gonna watch. We're gonna have you watch it again. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna watch it. We'll watch. Let us know when you watch it because I'll rewatch it again too. And I will borrow a DVD because <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. I'll give you the director's cut. Ooh. So, yeah. Um, all right. So yeah. So they 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 land. They land in a park. That clearly you can't run through the ship, but nobody goes to this park for like Ever. the three or four days or whatever it is. In yeah. San Francisco, an open field park that's <laughs> never used. Nobody plays frisbee but, at all. But before that, Kurt or Spock had to throw that line out there when they're when they're in orbit, and Spock's like, uh, "Admiral, we're probably able to be spotted even by the technology of the day." I'm, I always made me laugh. I'm like, if you go back to '86 where we had plenty of satellites, you. You think NORAD would have been like, what in the hell? Like, the moment it just shows up, they're like, what the hell's that? <laughs> and then it just vanishes. Yeah. Um, that's where the UFO just... stories people come from. It's Klingons, ships doing time warp. Exactly. You heard it, heard it here yeah. first. But yeah, the park that nobody uses except the garbage man. But if nobody uses the park, where does all the garbage come from? Ah. So we're just poking holes all throughout this. Well, also in Enterprise, <laughs> don't they say that the Vulcans were already on Earth in, like, the 50s? Yes, they did retcon first contact with T'Pol's ancestors. So Vulcans probably would have detected this Klingon warp signature just on Earth. <laughs> oh, that would have been one hell of a story. Yeah. Vulcans thinking future Klingons are coming to... Ah, anyways, that's a different movie. That's a that's a made-for-TV movie right there. <laughs> but Derek, you take it off right after they get to the park. I mean... Yeah. So, of course, you know, they have to figure out what they're going to do. And so they, they need the whales. They need a really big fish tank uh, that is conveniently designed inside of the ship. Well, so before um, we go too deep into this plan, uh, we have a tube that starts broadcasting whale songs. Uh, I, I kind of missed what the train of thought was that said, we need whales to sing back at them, and that means they'll go away. Okay, so the line of thought here was that they're listening to the probe. Yeah. And Spock is trying to figure out what the probe 
is supposed to sound like. And then they realize it's pointed at the water. So they ask Uhura if she can modify the signal to make it sound as if we were underwater. And she does the whole fine-tuning thing that she does, and then it makes that sound, and Spock kind of does his eyebrow thing and leaves the room, and he goes to the Klingon Earth animal database that they have, and um, and maybe they just uploaded it from Vulcan, who knows. But he's going through the sounds that all of the Earth aquatic species make, trying to match the sound that he heard on the bridge. Yeah. Until until he comes across the humpback whale, which is which he then knows is now extinct, and he believes that his hypothesis is that since the whale is now extinct and that's the same sound, maybe they're waiting for an answer. And you gotta love, like you said, that they had the inventory of whales and species either on Vulcan or on the Klingon ship. And I mean, Spock yeah. was the only one to know that whales were extinct. Or humpback whales were extinct. So so the entirety of the plot of this movie is Tube comes to Earth, Tube looks for whales, Spock goes, it wants whales, let's get it some whales. So it's, yes. it's basically a fetch quest for an unnamed, unknown NPC. Uh, basically, yeah. It would be a side quest, except if they don't complete it, the whole world is destroyed. Right. So it's the most important side quest. Legendary fetch quest. <laughs> and if you think about it, the probe, the whoever created the probe is kind of assholes because yeah. they're trying to find whales and either the probe doesn't know that there's other life on the planet or it doesn't care. So yeah. it's like someone in Alpha Centauri is just like, we need to make a tube that checks this planet for whales. And if it returns, no, then destroy a planet. It's like, what if the whales are just like not there? <laughs> what if they're, you know, what if they were all transplanted to a new planet? What if the whales are sleeping that day? That's the only kind of life that the probe cares about. So yeah, so maybe they left themselves open to go back and try to figure out who created that probe. I know there's all a whole bunch of theories out there, but anyways, so okay, they so decided to go slingshot save, back they, in time to grab a couple of whales. Yep, and slingshot back in time to what Derek was saying about yeah. So they need to get. Uh, transparent aluminum which does not exist yet and actually is super cool because uh i was reading an article a few months ago that we're actually like we actually have it now yeah we have it we actually we can actually we can make transparent aluminum it's just like cost prohibitive to make right now right yeah but But how cool is that how cool is that that in the night in 1986 scotty says that we need to make transparent aluminum and now in 20 now 2018 2017 when i read the article we can actually do it oh our cars will be having transparent aluminum windows here in 10 right, years right it's pretty cool but yeah so they need that and then they also need uh for some reason that i can't remember they needed like plutonium or something well they needed to siphon the nuclear energy off of a nuclear reactor to recharge the dilithium crystals that's what it was. Yeah, because yeah. Klingon crystals are apparently bad dilithium compared to everybody else's. No, of they course. just they just became super strained from the the high warp and and cracked. Oh yeah, I just remember Scotty had that line. He's like, "It's these damned Klingon crystals." Hmm. So I was wondering if maybe there's it's just trying to reference that the Federation does a better job of making engines or something. Maybe, but maybe not. Maybe like you said, they just got really torched flying around the sun at warp nine point whatever. Well, Spot, Scotty hates being on that ship. I mean, he insults the replicators. He insults the dilithium. <laughs> Scotty's kind of a racist. I've replaced the Klingon food packets. They were giving me a sour good, stomach. Good priorities, Scotty. And well, and then Kirk had his little line. Oh, that's what that was. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's true though. Like Scotty's kind of racist against Klingons, and Kirk is basically the same way by the fifth, uh, the sixth movie. You know. So. Oh yeah. So. Just sidebar again for a second here. Can you imagine the the Klingons from Discovery giving those eloquent uh, Federation conference speeches like they did in this movie? It would be so insane, just like these slavering beasts. Oh man, that would be interesting to say the least. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't see that happening. No, have them recite some Shakespeare in the original Klingon. Yeah. It's like it's like even if if we, even if we do the mental gymnastics that oh this is just what Klingons look like it's like 
Yeah, but these, these greasy, like, alien monsters would never just be like, and this is unacceptable to our people. It's like, no. Uh, the Klingon ambassador, the one everybody loves to hate. Yeah. Your vessel did destroy USS Grissom. Do you deny this? We deny nothing. We deny nothing. So you admit, and you admit in an open forum, you destroyed a Federation ship. <laughs> and then, obviously, with all this going on and deciding on the whales, transparent aluminum, I'll admit I love the scenes where they're starting to interact with San Francisco. Yeah, I know some people might complain. Ah, oh, they just they just didn't want to use props or whatever this that or the other. I'm like in the modern day today, when people are demanding more realness, less CGI, I'm like, this is like perfect. They they actually was part of the story, and they like Im- improved big chunks of it too. Did they? Uh, yeah, the the scene where Uhura and uh, Chekhov are going nuclear vessels, nuclear vessels to just people walking down the street. Uh, apparently that was like all improv and they were just shooting while extras walked by and they just yelled at extras while that weird mustachioed cop just looked on such a strange oh, that's scene. fantastic but I, I, love, I was reading some of the uh the little trivia and uh, the one that goes oh they're in alameda across the bay uh that woman was an extra who wasn't supposed to speak and was only an extra because her car got towed because it was in the way of the production uh and she needed to work as an extra to make the money to get her car back Oh, wow. And then she just responded to a question like a normal person, and they had to keep it because it worked with the scene. That's funny. Yeah. It worked, and in Hura and Chekhov's response was just as good, too. So that's what we see. That's what we said. <laughs> <laughs> Alameda, we know that. How do we get there? <laughs> uh, Chekhov. Although, I guess in the 80s, if a, if a cop did see uh, somebody with a Russian as- accent asking, where are the nuclear vessels? Yeah. They would, they would probably get a little bit more attention to themselves than they wanted. Also, does uh, Spock speak English or does he speak Vulcan? He speaks English. Okay, I just thought that was that was a universal translator thing. Like he was speaking. No, Vulcan. he can he can speak both. I mean, basically, Vulcans all all know how to speak English, mm-hmm. and some Klingons know how to speak English too. That's why, like, you'll see Klingons go back and forth. Yeah. Right, so like in, in the search for Spock, Christopher Lloyd's Klingon speaks English whenever he's talking to Kirk. True, true, true. Yeah, that's one of the real inconsistencies in Star Trek is how language is is handled. But, um, but yeah, so you know they, they they're totally out of their element. You know they have to sell the glasses to get money, and they all get like thirteen dollars or something like that. <laughs> Which today barely gets you Chipotle. So. I know, right. It's a good thing it was the 80s. But I I think one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is uh, when Scotty and Bones go to get the transparent aluminum and they have to use the computer and Scotty is trying to talk to it. He's being so (laughs) nice to it, too. Hello, computer. (laughs) And he picks up the mouse because he thinks the mouse is like a a microphone that he has to speak into. Yeah, because Bones just kind of hands it to him all, like, super optimistic about it. (laughs) Well, and they gave them an Apple II to work with, and the Apple II is completely mouse-driven because it was the first computer with a mouse, but he does everything by poke typing with just his pointer fingers, and they, like, the movement made it look like he was, you know, super hacker typing, but he was just like, poke, 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 totally at letter keys in, in the, like, first and second row, yet somehow he was creating uh elemental matrices on an apple IIe. well yeah i love that because like he just his typing just gets faster and faster as he's going yeah and you know it's that old 80s style like it's basically what a mechanical keyboard sounds like today um, <laughs> yes yes i love that scene so much my favorite scene was when bones gives that woman a pill that regrows her kidney that he just happened to have a kidney <laughs> regrowth pill. All right. Dialysis, what is this, the Dark Ages? Yeah. <laughs> I think that whole sequence was my favorite in the movie where Bones is just disgusted with, with society in the 19th century or 20th century. Where he's just like, these people are animals. It is pretty great when they're trying to smuggle Chekhov out of the hospital, right? And like uh, they're like going through and Chekhov tries to look up and, and Kurt puts his head down <laughs> back on the yeah. bed. <laughs> I think that's why I love this movie so much, because I feel like they all had a really good time making it. 
Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of love in it. You can you can definitely see that, and and it's it's definitely made by people who kind of get get the jokes and like want to tell these jokes with these characters. Well, it must have been nice for them to also do a little bit more of a softer film, because Rathacon and Search for Spock are not they're not like peaceful films. Yeah. No, they're not. This is this is a much lighter movie. It's it's probably the lightest of all the Star Trek movies. Yeah, you'd hardly know that Kirk's son just died. Hey, uh, right? Yep. Yeah, because that doesn't really come up at all. No. <laughs> it was like think, two weeks prior. Yeah, I don't think it's mentioned at all in Star Trek Four. I mean, when Savick is talking to, right. to Kirk, there's that scene in the, in the beginning, you know, I want you to know about your son. But otherwise, yeah, they don't bring it up again. I guess they are. they do have to save the world again. The Klingon ambassador brings it up at the beginning of this one where he says, and Kirk with his son developed this Genesis torpedo. It's like someone in the crowd should have just went like, he didn't know that was his son and he didn't really care when he died. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) so sad. Oh, what a movie. So anyways, the whole slapstick, I'm not using slapstick in a bad way, but the comedic aspects of the film really start kind of taking over because they do... The thing I like is everybody has something to do, and it's not in that cheesy way of, you know, they took a character and they made them the driver. You yeah, know, it's kind drive of a us heist around. Movie. Yeah, it's kind of a heist movie. Yeah. And they, they didn't just take Chekhov and go, all right, Chekhov, your goal for this movie is to drive us to all these places while we do stuff. It's like they specifically make it so everybody's given a task to accomplish, um, which, you know, invariably results in Chekhov trying to steal nuclear material from a naval ship. Which in the eighty, I, I guess any time stealing nuclear material from the navy is a bad idea. <laughs> but but I'm assuming at the tail end of the eighties Cold War heating up again. Yeah, send the Russian <laughs> catching somebody that speaks somewhat Russian on a, on an American ship. I don't know. They might have just instantly killed them. I, I really don't know what they would have done. Well, I think yeah, Chekhov is acting so strange about the whole thing that they just didn't really know. Like, you know, they pointed out, like, maybe there's something wrong with them, right? And they, you know, they have to be kind of careful of that bad publicity. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. I mean, they even call them some some pretty derogatory terminology uh, yes. that would not be used in a modern film today. Oh, yeah, um, they call them the R Yes, word. they do. They do. <laughs> you know, but it's, it's an interesting point because, you know, if the Navy were to, you know, kill... A you know a mentally disadvantaged person that would be very bad press. <laughs> this is true, but that's the thing is this, that scene. So the stealing of the material leads to Chekhov being captured, which leads to him being injured, which leads to the hospital. It's like this is one of those movies where like everything actually leads to something. Mm-hmm. Whereas there's a lot of modern movies that Derek, Jeremy, and Greg go get pizza, and that's it. The scene is just us eating pizza. It doesn't lead to anything. <laughs> Um, but it still sounds lovely. Well, it sounds still sounds lovely. lovely. I'm not complaining about that. But, <laughs> you know, if this was Star Trek Four, <clears throat> Structurally, the movie's very sound because they, I mean, for the heist aspect of it, because everything's not only, everyone has their role and everybody's assigned based on their skills, but also there's the ticking clock that they introduce because it's like the ship has to stay in cloak. And as long as it's in cloak, it's draining the power reserves. So we have 24 hours to do all this stuff or we'll be exposed and then we're screwed. Well, and then they also have the clock with the whales because the whales are being moved, right? And then they get moved early, and so the clock gets even tighter. So, yeah, they're they're constantly on this time pressure, which is something that's really important because in a time travel movie, one of the biggest complaints people tend to have is, well, what's what's the big rush? They can come back at any point, right? They they could come back to, you know, two seconds before they left, and it's like they were never even gone. So they have to create this sense of urgency in the past where they go. Like when they cut corners and, and introduce invisible aluminum and then they and Scotty does kind of his lazy causality where he's like, Maybe this is the guy who invented it. I this love that kind of, line. Kind I of like that. in uh the first Kelvin Star Trek where he Spock teaches him how to do it early, where he's like, You were gonna invent this anyway with the <laughs> But it's a great line though, because because Bones is like you know you were gonna you know it's, it could mess up the timeline. It's like how do we know he, he didn't invent the thing? You yeah. know, <laughs> Scotty's just done with it. He's like let's just do it and move on. <laughs> yeah, 
And the whole time all this is happening, we haven't even really gotten the. There's so much stuff in this movie. We could spend four hours talking about it. The two hour movie, but we didn't even get a chance to talk about how Kirk and Spock get to go through all of their wacky hijinks of finding the whales. That's when they sell the glasses to get money to get on the bus, and they meet uh, Jillian. Right? Yeah. This yes. is after. This is after Spock puts out the punk rocker with the. Uh, the Vulcan neck pinch, which was a great scene, by the way. Um, now, fun, fun little note: Jillian uh, uh, is played by Catherine Hicks, who is the mother on Seven, Seventh Heaven, and in the motion picture, uh, Commander Deckard is the husband in Seventh Heaven. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> Everything leads back to Star Trek. That's true. All all roads lead back to the Enterprise. Um, lead back to Seventh Heaven. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, they go to the uh, Centenarium, what is that place called? The Cetacean C- Institute. Cetacean Institute, which is just the Monterey Bay Aquarium, which it still has the Monterey Bay Aquarium logo, which <laughs> I, I guess you only really get if you've been to the Monterey Bay Aquarium, but it's just like they put a big sign under an existing logo. Basically, yeah. But man, that video they showed of the whales getting slaughtered, that was shocking. Like, that's kind of hard to watch with modern day sensibilities. Because you don't you don't see that anymore, with those those billing hooks just like tearing into baleen whale. Ugh. Yeah, that always really bumped me out. That scene, super sad. Yeah, it is, and I, I, they kind of put it in there for that little the shock value while they're educating everybody on what's going on, and it even kind of hits you know Spock a little bit. And I know Spock, the human side of his emotions are usually pretty buried. You know, he even makes the concept, the comment of, you know, hunting a species to its extinction is not logical. And, you know, I kind of like that. Everybody has their own viewpoints on that. And it's the Vulcan calling the humans out. Whoever said that the human race is logical. Yeah. And she fires right back with that. This is, you know. I love that. And then, you know, he jumps right into the, into the pool. He doesn't waste any time. That was hilarious. I was not expecting that at all. He was just hugging that whale. <laughs> I love the old ladies. She's like, maybe, he, maybe they're singing to that man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty good. I also didn't know he was in like little hot pants underneath that robe. Yeah, yeah, in his yeah. skivvies. Vulcans dress light, right? <laughs> well, they wear one heavy layer and one light layer, so they're always ready to go. <laughs> well, it gets pretty hot on Vulcan, so I guess it makes sense. Yeah. So they're, um, they meet, they meet Jillian Hicks or Jillian Hicks. Yeah. Combined. (laughs) (laughs) Why why not? Um, I almost said Jillian Anderson. I'm like from Max Files. Yeah. I got, so anyways, moving forward. Dr. Jillian, the biggest loser in San Francisco who doesn't have any friends. Her only friends are two whales that are going to be released. Right. Right. But she really knows her stuff. So that's kind of cool, right? She's an actual marine scientist, marine biologist. Whale biologist. But anyway, so. That's what starts the whole scene with uh, her driving away after they get thrown out of the Cetacean Institute. And then she sees them again and actually offers them a ride. Which, if you think about what Spock just did, that's kind of that's kind of gutsy of her. She has no idea who these people are. Yeah, I don't think she has uh, great judgment. She's kind of... She's like very nonplussed when they get on the actual spaceship. She's just like, oh, this is a spaceship. Cool. She... Yeah, she's very excited to go to go to the future, and she you know starts up like a brand new life, leaving literally everything behind. And she gets a weird yeah. little space lapel pin for her, that last scene. It's like a Casio watch pin, yeah. Yeah. And you know, at all the point at this point, all the plots are kind of like catching up with each other because you got you got basically what almost like four or five different storylines all parallel. Yeah. And once once the whole Jillian. I'm forget it. She's Jillian Anderson from X Files. She's the whale. She's the original Jillian. whale biologist. Just say Jillian. <laughs> Just say Jillian. Um, so all the storylines kind of start meeting up at this point because that's when they find out her. That's when she finds out the whales are being released. You know, Kirk is able to get her to go to dinner in a very Kirk manner. Doesn't waste any time at all. Italian. <laughs> uh, and you know, apparently that whole you know, do you like Italian? Yes, no, yes, no. Scene. Apparently that was all improv. From Kirk and Spock. They were supposed to just say yes, no at the same time. Nice. But the bouncing back and forth was just something they come up with and kept, which 
you know, and the director's in the car, you know, I guess you can do that. That kind of helps when the actor is the director. Yeah. I mean, all that stuff was like probably my least favorite part of the movie with just kind of the Jillian interactions because there was, there was zero conflict to any of it. They didn't really have to struggle to convince her of anything. She was kind of gung-ho for everything that they told her and everything that they had to do. So it was just kind of like, all right, what's like, none of this stuff is consequential. They could have literally stolen two whales out of the ocean and had the same effect. Um, yeah, but I like the idea that they, that they didn't have to try and hunt down male and female whales, that they were just right there. Because, like, otherwise, then you have to deal with that, and you have to watch them essentially go whale hunting. Well, was it, you know? was it necessary that they had to find, like, a male and a pregnant female? Well, not necessarily a pregnant female, but I think the idea was to, you know, reignite the species. Yeah, but you can't do that with a single breeding pair. I mean, not in real life, yeah. but but in a movie you can. Or if they're cloning them in the future, I guess. There you go. Yeah, I'm sure they do some sort of gene tinkering. It worked with the, you know, with the augments and and cons people, right? Great. Eugenics whales. <laughs> yeah, eugenics whales. I mean, really beefy whales. <laughs> Anyways. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... Um, I mean, you're, you're right, though. That the, the conflict is is really kind of taken away because she's just totally on board for everything. She's like, yeah, take my whales, whoever you are, and take me on this weird spaceship to the future, to you know, 200 years from now. It's going to be great. And then she never shows up ever again. Yeah. Also, does, does he introduce himself to her as Khan? Does he say his name is Khan? Because when she's outside the, the cloaked ship, she's saying, she's yelling Khan. I think she's yelling Kirk. Was she saying I thought Kirk? She, I thought she was yelling Admiral Kirk, yeah. Yeah, Admiral It sounded Kirk. like Khan to me. It was weird. I don't know what cut of the movie you were watching, but... Uh... <laughs> Microsoft 299 rental. Okay. okay. Might have been some sort of the, YouTube supercut. Um, the Ricardo Montalban cut. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Anyways, they get, they get all the stuff, and they kind of throw the climax for a pause for a minute, because after the whole dinner thing and explaining everything going on... And they get the transparent aluminum. They go back to the ship. And she's like, well, they're going to release the whales. We've got to go find them. And Kirk actually stops everything and says, no, I can't go anywhere. The ship's missing. We've got a man down. Yep. Which was a little almost out of character for Kirk. You know, I mean, Kirk cared about his crew, but that's something you would kind of get from almost Picard. You know, we're not going to leave a man behind. Yeah, but, but they couldn't just leave uh Chekhov, Chekhov in the past. That would, no, I, yeah. and I agree with that, but it's just, it's kind of nice that Kirk put a whole, he put Saving the Earth on hold to go find his, to go find Chekhov. Yeah. Whereas I'm worried in today today's filmmaking, they would have found some way to go, well, Chekhov knew what he signed up for, and we're just going to have to leave him here. True, but also at part. that point, they were fully powered up and fully equipped, so the time pressure was off at that point, because if the, the engines were completely charged... They're kind of good to go. So they True. could have taken an extra couple days if they needed to, to chill. That's a good point. Yeah, because they had to do, but they had to guesstimate the whole returning to Earth thing anyways. Yeah. On, on getting the timing right. Um, but then you get the hospital scene, which is amazing. Yes, you know, I the... love that whole sequence. I, though of all of the, the side plots, uh, it seemed like Sulu's helicopter plot was very like, we don't we don't need to follow Sulu around that much. Well, yeah, right. They just, <laughs> just get a helicopter. <laughs> they just gave him a Huey. Yeah, with thirteen dollars that he had. <laughs> Will this get me a helicopter? Thank you. He does have his his nice moment when he accidentally turns the wiper blades on. Yeah, I always enjoy that. But yeah, you're right. Sulu kind of just gets to do his own thing for most of the movie. But uh, I mean, some of that had to do with the the conflict that he and Shatner had, um, because by the sixth movie. They're only on set together for the one final scene. The, the hospital, you know, they grow that woman's kidney back with, you know, <laughs> McCoy throwing in his famous one-liners every so often. Yeah. You know, what'd you get your degree in? Dentistry? It's like, holy <laughs> cow, man. You gotta know that this was the technology at the time. Um, I don't know. Maybe not. I want to see, like, a, a house-style show where it's just bones. Yes. God damn it, you barbarians. Get out of my way. <laughs> it's, it's modern day McCoy, Star Trek 23rd Century McCoy stuck in like 1996. Oh my god, I would watch 
every episode of that a million times. <laughs> he, he accidentally gets left behind and has to make a living as a doctor. Just like oh. Dr. House, who knows everything, but also has scientific advances that he can't share with society. Damn it, Jim, it's never lupus. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Jim, I have a uh, vial of the cure for lupus, but I can't let it get into the time stream. <laughs> all right, we'll, do, we'll have to do a separate episode on McCoy gets stuck in the, in the past. Um, all right. Because they, because they wrap things up pretty cleanly and pretty nicely. Obviously, they save Chekhov because um, they beam him right out of the elevator and they go find the whales, which again has another great meme-worthy scene when uh, Michael or Jillian gives uh, the code, the radio frequency to Kirk, and they find the whales. And there's a, it's it's a Finnish whaler or is it an Icelandic whaler? It doesn't Finnish. matter, I guess. Um, Finnish. But there's that whaler that's trying to hunt down the two whales and. The harpoon is fired and stops in midair because it smacks yeah. vertebrae. And of, course, and of course, you have to decloak just to intimidate him, right? Oh, see, I thought the harpoon broke the cloak. I was like, they need to take that into the future. Just shoot harpoons. <laughs> just make harpoon minefields. Yeah. That's all it takes. Cold iron just breaks that. A harpoon fired from a whaler. I love it. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, I always kind of put myself in that captain's shoes when you're on the whaling boat. Like, what do you even do? Just turn the wheel as fast as you can. Um, but things get wrapped up pretty nicely. Obviously, you know, they they get back to Earth. Uh, they time, they're time. they able to time warp back. And what, what's the line with Spock when he's talking to Kirk? And he's like, I couldn't remember everything, so I guessed. And he's, and, That's wonderful, Spock. <laughs> Good job. Spock. Spock's all worried. He's like, what? This is... Oh, it feels better about your guess than most people's facts. It's like, ouch. It's, it's a good line, though. I oh, like it. It's a great line. Bones and Spock have a weird relationship in this movie. There's like three different times where Bones is kind of like all up in Spock's business. And he's like, hey, hey guy, how's it going? Let's let's <laughs> let's have a little powwow. And Spock's what's, just like, I'm fine. Just back up. What's, <laughs> what's death like? Yeah. Oh, I can't discuss oh, it without a proper you. frame of reference. You mean I have to die to discuss your way, your thoughts on death? Anyways, they wrap, so they wrap everything up pretty nicely. Obviously, make it back to the to the regular twenty third century. The whales save Earth. Um, I will say the shot when the Klingon bird of prey and the storm goes under the Golden Gate Bridge is pretty sweet. Yeah, they had a lot of good um, flight sequences, like. With the ships flying around. It was cool. And that was a model, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a pretty awesome scene. It was pretty great. I love that shot. And it still holds up pretty well. I mean, yeah, you can see the miniature stuff. But it still holds up surprisingly well 31 years later. Yeah. Compared Mm -hmm. to all the CGI, you know, nonsense out there. Absolutely. True, true, true. And then, yeah, they, they have the big trial and... Kirk is slapped on the wrist by getting everything he's always wanted. Uh, <laughs> the demotion he's he's dreamed of. And well, she's very... Jillian is very excited for him, so I guess they had a long talk about about everything. Um, you know, but she never shows up again. I really thought that maybe she'd become a more stable love interest. Oh, uh, like if they would have brought her back for five or six? Yeah, like, yeah. Even in a throwback, have her photo on a frame in his... In his- yeah, in his his cabin or something, something like that, that would have been kind of neat. There's another yeah, show but, too, just the adventures of Jillian stuck in the future. There we go. And then <laughs> the, the, you only, know, they, the whale biologist in a world with no whales. I like yeah, it. They yeah, got, really they got right. three now, right? <laughs> the eugenics whale program is started by her. She's like, don't don't worry, my minions will have revenge. That's, makes that's it, the makes stealth prequel worse. for street sharks. <laughs> Ooh, I like it. I like it. There we go. Um, but then, of course, we see the Enterprise A in all of its glory as they pan over the Excelsior, and everybody's faces get all excited. And Scotty hates the Excelsior. Aye, and if my grandmother had wheels, she'd be a wagon. Yeah. He really hates the Excelsior. <laughs> Didn't he, like, do most of the engineering work for it? <laughs> He, he hates that ship, though. And Sulu loves it, which I thought was great foreshadowing, since he ends up being the captain. Yeah. Um, Spoilers. Nah, I haven't seen these luck, movies. Luck. <laughs> he's, he's, he's had it in a movie, and he's had it in an episode of Voyager. 
So mm. at this point, you know, I'm sorry if you if that's a, a spoiler and you're you're really upset. You can yell at me on Twitter. Um. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm sure I'm sure somebody will. But they get the Enterprise A, which whenever we end up talking about Final Frontier, Jeremy, I'm not going to spoil anything. Just remember, at the end of Star Trek IV: The Voyage Home, the Enterprise is working perfectly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's important to remember. I mean, it's a brand. It is a brand new ship, top of the line, Constitution class Enterprise A in mint condition. Also, what at what point did they build that thing? On Tuesday. Oh, so they're just crank, cranking out <laughs> new f- flagships of the. Well, after. After DS9 came out, and remember that Defiant was... Spoilers, the Defiant's destroyed Deep Space Nine, and they get a new one. But it wasn't the right. new Defiant. It was another Defiant-class ship with a different name, and they just renamed it to Defiant. Right. So I'm wondering yeah. if, they, if they did something like that with one of these. They might have just done a rechristening, but it is a different ship, and the design is different. Oh, yeah. Uh, because by the time you see it, um, it's a redress of the Enterprise D set. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes, so, it is. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean that's that's the movie and that's our time. We're over the hour mark here. Yep. So final five second thoughts, Jer- Derek. Love or hate? Love it. Love it. Jeremy, love, hate, or indifferent? Uh, somewhere between indifferent and, and love. I I liked it. It just it didn't blow me away. You liked it. You just didn't like it. Like it. I wouldn't put a <laughs> ring on it. Uh, <laughs> Greg, what about you? I love it. It's top t- top two or top three of all the Star Trek films. I, two, four, and six always keep changing places depending on which one I'm watching. Of all Star Trek films or just original series films? For me, pretty much all of the films. Damn. Yeah, see, two, two four, six, First Contact, and Beyond are my tops. Uh, not necessarily in that order, by the way. Yeah, I'm so. with you, Derek. I'm I'm all about insurrection. That's my one, two, and three. It's all three. It's your whole top three. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Saddle well. up, lock and load. <laughs> yeah. On that note, <laughs> should should we all sing British Tar? Uh. <laughs> no spoilers. <laughs> all right. Oh well. man. All right. We'll get to that one. We'll yeah, we'll get to, get to that one. Well, we're gonna wrap up the show then. So, next week is Discovery. Uh, next week, Woo! Discovery comes back. Yeah. So, gentlemen, before we close out, Derek, how can people find you if they want to talk to you? I am the Star Trek dude on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Please come talk to me. I'm also on a couple other shows on the network, including Screen Heroes, our TV and movie show, which streams live on Tuesday nights at on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Heroes Podcast. And I'm also on Gamer Heroes, our video game podcast that has new episodes every week as well. And I am Zen Munkin on Twitter, and I am on another show on the network called the Saturday Morning Tooncast, which comes out on Saturday mornings, and we talk about cartoons. And sugary breakfast cereal. And sugary Ooh. breakfast cereal, yes. Sugary breakfast cereal, I love it. Next episode's going to be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, Ooh. Amazing. Yep. Then we got to do He-Man. Anyways, um, <laughs> you all can find me out there on uh, Yahoo and Twitter at the underscore Bittersteel, which, fun, uh, weirdly enough, I actually got a comment on Twitter about where the name came from. Um, it's Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah? Half my yep. stuff is either Game of Thrones or Star Trek. Yeah, maybe a third of Star Wars. I got to keep working on my ratios. But anyways, everybody, appreciate you listening. We'll be back again next week for Discovery returning on Sunday. Thank you so much for listening to Red Shirts and Runabouts, which is part of the Heroes Podcast Network. Uh, give us a like. Find us on Facebook, Twitter. Subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. I use a new podcast app. It works great on my iPhone. So check it out, everybody. And uh, thanks for listening. Red Shirts and Runabouts is part of the Heroes Podcast Network. The show is hosted by myself, Gregory Bosco, along with Jeremy Munkin and Derek Mayer. The theme song is by Flying Killer Robots. You can find us as well as other Heroes Podcast Network shows at heroespodcast.com, as well as on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Google Play, and anywhere you can use an RSS feed. Follow us on social media at Heroes Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch. 
And you can also email us at contact at heroespodcasts.com. Engage. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.